I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Thomas Mills. Welcome to Climate Optimists. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. So while many podcasts are funded through you know, sponsors or ad revenue, the reality is that Climate Optimists, we rely a lot on listener donations to help bring you the programming you hear each week. So if you're a regular listener and value what you get from us, consider a donation that aligns with that value. All you have to do is head over to our website, climateoptimist.co, and click on the donate button. And as Todd would say, no donation is too small or too big. E-bikes have come a long way since their inception. Today, sales are exploding and bike manufacturers have responded with options to fit every type of rider. And so this week, we'll be exploring the world of e-bikes and, you know, really their promise as a, as a climate solution. So it's been a little while since we've done our little segment on what have you done to help the climate lately. And so I'm going to put you in the hot seat. What, uh, what actions have you taken in the last, you know, couple weeks to help address climate change? Thanks, Jason. Um, I, I guess we'll start with the fact that uh, with coal now trading at about 400 US dollars a tonne, it's made electricity in Australia really expensive. So with power prices going up, um, a lot of the solar projects I designed for clients a year or two ago that they never moved ahead with are now gaining traction. So they've come back and they've said, yeah, let's, let's make it happen. So we've now started the installation on uh, quite a few solar projects that otherwise would never have happened. How about you, Jason? What's well, good news? I, I don't know if I can cl- claim as big of a an impact, but I, I did um, encourage a friend to buy an electric vehicle. Talk through kind of all the ins and outs, and and I also donated a hundred dollars to a a senator, a pro climate senator here in the U.S. who's facing a tough re-election battle. So there'll be more digging into my pockets, I'm sure, between now and and November. But yeah, let's dig into this week's reason for hope. Yeah. So. The Iceland company Climeworks has announced plans to construct a second carbon removal plant. Climeworks removes carbon dioxide from the air using what's called direct air capture technology. This plant will take about a year and a half to two years to build, and when it's complete, will remove about 36,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide annually, which is equivalent to roughly 7,000 typical cars. And although this is you know, relatively small project still, this announcement represents an important step for the scale up of direct air carbon removal, because the company is hoping to have an, enough plants um, to remo- remove about a million tons of carbon dioxide by 2030 and close to a billion tons of carbon dioxide annually by 2050. Yeah, I think the the scale up piece is huge. I mean, as you and I both worked in the wind industry in the early days, it's like, you know, those little incremental steps can seem small, but, you know, knowing that they, you know, are sort of doubling and doubling their capacity. Um, yeah, it's an essential piece and exciting to see it, you know, kicking off. So our guest this week to help us get smart on, on e-bikes is Eric Bjorling. Eric is the director of brand and, and public relations for Trek Bicycles. He joined the, the Trek team back in 2005 and has filled multiple roles in their global marketing department. He holds a a degree from the University of Wisconsin and is a proud Badger. I won't hold that against you, Eric. And he lives with his uh, wife and three kids in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Excited to have him on the show.
Eric, welcome to Climate Optimus. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Well, let's uh, start you out with the question we do all our guests. Um, when you think about efforts to address climate change, what uh, makes you hopeful? I think what makes me hopeful, the most hopeful, is just the amount of people focused on it now. I think for so long, it's been so easy to sweep this under the rug. And I think, unfortunately, what we're seeing is the real life in-person effects of what's going on with climate change. And it, it's one of those things that people are waking up to. And there's finally a massive amount of conversation and awareness of what's happening. Now, the next thing that the next thing that needs to happen is talking about real solutions and real alternatives and what we can really do to fix this. But I think the thing that makes me the most excited is just the amount of conversation and the people that are really, that really care about what that conversation looks like. But that's what gives me hope is that, is that, that people are actually really waking up to what this thing is. Yeah. There's sort of a, you know, a gathering kind of momentum. I've heard other guests put it that like, it's, it's definitely front and center now. It's not something that, as you say, gets swept, swept under the rug, fortunately. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the world of e-bikes, wondering how you, what was your journey into, you know, bikes and, and ultimately working for Trek? Sure. Yeah. I had a really kind of interesting route here. A lot of people that, you know, in the cycling industry really like have a, a deep, deep affection and love for cycling from a very young age and all the way through. And then they, they, they want to make cycling such a part of their life that they kind of come to it in a professional sense as well. For me, I was actually, uh, I found found track and found bikes in a different way. I was working in minor league baseball and in entertainment marketing uh, when I was going through um, finishing school. And I got hired to work at this bike company in Wisconsin. It was great because it wasn't that far from the University of Wisconsin where I, where I went. And um, I had a, uh, a lot of reasons that I wanted to stay in the area. And Trek, from what I knew, was a really solid company and, and, and made an interesting product. And I came from a marketing degree, and I thought this would be a great opportunity. In the meantime, what I really found was that uh, an incredible place with an amazing heart and moral compass, and that makes a product that really holds the potential to change the world. And I just fell in love with cycling like so many people do uh, when they come to uh, work here or anywhere else in the, in the cycling industry from a non-cycling background. And now it's just such a central part of, of my life and my identity that I, I can't imagine being anywhere else. Yeah, it's, it seems like a great company to work for. So, well, let's, uh, let's get into e-bikes. So mm -hmm. just wondering if you can talk a little bit about, because I know folks out there are probably seeing a lot more e-bikes on the streets. Mm -hmm what's what's driving that that growth what are the primary factors behind it yeah absolutely i think you take a look at like the history of e-bikes we're actually kind of on our like third or fourth swing at e-bikes you know e-bikes really kind of our first one was really in the early 2000s with electric if you go back into the track uh history archives um and you saw some a lot of momentum and a lot of this stuff kind of happening at the bleeding edge. It was a lot of add-ons. It, it was a lot of like retrofitting electric systems to existing bikes. And what you were left with was a an okay product. It's certainly not where we are today. And then you saw this really big swell in Europe. The European markets, you take a look at Holland, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, um, Belgium, there was so much adoption going on about 10 years ago of electric bikes, and it became such a, a, a market force, um, and it's such a driving force of the industry in those markets. And it really has taken a little bit of time to migrate over to North America. Um, there's a little bit of an awareness uh, gap of what electric bikes are. But I think the thing that when you take a look at it is you look at how good the product has gotten from where it was to where it is today. There's been massive investments in the technology and in the performance and in the weight and in all of the aspects of making 
uh, just the experience of riding an electric bike, so good. And then the next thing that really had to catch up was, to, the, to the product was really the infrastructure to support electric bikes. Electric bikes, uh, just they, they have different needs. You've got batteries, you've got motor systems, you've got diagnostics that you can run, you've got firmware that needs to be updated. It's just a little bit of a different animal. And you really had to have a, a, a retail support system. You had to have enough infrastructure in a market to really make that work and make it comfortable so that once I'm aware of what an electric bike is, now I actually feel comfortable interacting with this product because I know I'm going to be taken care of. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a great point, right? You need your dealers, right, to be able to actually work on the bikes. And, you know, working on an e-bike is probably different than just, a, you know, adjusting some derailers and brakes. So. Right, right. It's, 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 it, there's, there's just different considerations. You've got electrical systems, motors, batteries. There's a lot of things that go into it. There's a lot of catching up that a lot of everybody kind of had to do to build the support structure for this market. Now I think we're at a place where you're seeing the the little bit of the tipping point, at least domestically. That tipping point was, was a couple of years back in, in other markets. But in North America, you really are coming to see where that tipping point is. The market is mature enough now to support mass adoption of electric bikes. And then what you're seeing now is like really the proliferation of a lot of different brands and a lot of different technologies and a lot of different things coming in. But at least there's enough there to actually help people really enjoy and interact with this product. Yeah, indeed. Well, and it, it seems like, and we'll get into this, but it seems like there's also maybe a new demographic, right? You've got sort of your hardcore cyclists and some of them maybe taking on an e-bike, I, I assume for, let's say, commuting where they don't want to break that sweat getting into the office. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But it seems like there are maybe new folks coming to the, the table that wouldn't otherwise have necessarily ridden a bike, let's say, for transportation to and from work or to the grocery store, you know, what have you. Now, electric bikes really do uh, address a lot of the barriers that people have to cycling. What you're saying is you, you see different segments of the market actually adopting electric bikes for very different reasons. You may have an older couple that um, wants to continue riding or they want to maybe transition into maybe more of a leisure style. And it actually is kind of lowering the barrier of entry of like, I don't feel like I have enough fitness or, oh, I live in a hilly area. Or you have people who want to ride together or they want to ride with the people that they like or the, 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 you know, you have couples coming in together. One of them is a cyclist. The other person might not be. And folks want to just spend that time together. Cycling is a very um, connective activity. It's something that you want to do in a group and really electric bikes allow you to bridge any of those gaps or fears that you might have about not being able to keep up or you've got, you know, again, hilly terrain, or you might feel like you're not you don't have that kind of fitness. And they just kind of help address those last little barriers that people have. And then when you look at the commuting market, I mean, electric bikes hold massive potential for helping people make really great, you know, gasoline alternative decisions when you've got bikes that, you know, okay, I got to go to the office, but I, I don't want to sweat. Or maybe I don't feel as comfortable riding public transportation during the COVID era or something like that. Well, electric bikes can actually help you, you know, address a lot of those needs. Yeah, well, that's that's a good uh, lead in. So, thinking about electric bikes as well, and and regular bikes for that matter, what role do you see them helping? You know, helping us decarbonize our transportation system. You know, as the the product has come come along, uh, really, you've got several different classifications of e bikes, and I think when you say electric bikes, um, it conjures different images in people's minds. And so, let's take a minute and kind of like break down our classifications here. Class one e bikes, you've got uh, what you're talking about is pedal assist. And you're talking about you have to move that bike. You actually have to, to work that bike to actually get the system to engage. If you're pedaling at a certain cadence, selecting a, a method of, um, of assistance from like, let's say, 10, 25, 100, and 200% of your own output. 
Class two, that's really your throttle-driven e-bikes. If you're in New York City, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're talking about a lot of food delivery. You're talking about a lot of moped alternative uh, bikes. Those are those are um, not something that that Trek is involved with, but certainly are a fair percentage of the marketplace. And then you've got class three e-bikes. And class three e-bikes are bikes that are going to be still pedal assist, but really assist you actually up to a higher speed. I think I believe the cutoff is around 28 miles per hour. After 28 miles per hour, the the assistance will cut off and you'll be on your own, um, which can happen when you're going down a hill or or you know if you're you're really fit or really active. But when you talk about the potential to decarbonize different places, electric bikes hold massive potential. A, this is not a motor that runs on on any kind of, of gasoline. And what you have, though, is you have those classifications. And in those classifications, you've got different product offerings from a number of different places. Um, and so really, it's about helping people find the sort of the electric bike solution for whatever their need is. Um, and whether you're decarbonizing your commute whether you're decarbonizing some of your exercise or your leisure time, they they do hold massive potential for that. Yeah, and it sounds like that you know you pointed out some, but that sounds like there are a lot of flavors of that. I used to buy commute working from home now, but um, but it sounds like you have a fair number of folks who are doing you know delivery within the city, and now all of a sudden you can do that if it's obviously smaller packages on a bike. Sure. If you turn to, you know, again, if you turn to Europe as an example of where a lot of the um, bleeding edge and early adoption of electric bikes is, is located, you, you're seeing now um, electric systems being put onto bikes that are delivering kids to daycare, taking their kids to, to school. Um, you'll see them picking up groceries. You'll see them actually delivering relatively large objects, whether it's a package or whether it's, well, I can tell you a story from my own personal experience. I saw somebody move a tree. Um, with, uh, I don't know, we're not talking about like a full grown oak tree, but like a tree that they were clearly bought at a place that they put into the bucket of their electric bike and were driving or were riding it to a place where they were going to plant that. But you're talking about the cargo and carrying capacity and, uh, the future of what electric could look like for people. Again, it's the potential is really, really impressive. Yeah, I mean, when you can start carrying a, a tree from the nursery in the bike, it it opens up, you know, almost anything we need. <laughs> we're we're yeah. going around the city and taking care of our needs. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you you spoke about Europe. Are there specific cities, or I guess we could even say countries, that are really the leaders in in bike adoption, mm-hmm. and what can we learn from those folks? Absolutely. So you take a look. It's a lot of the traditional ones that that people may be familiar with. You take a look at Holland. I believe the last statistic I saw was that half to just a little bit over half of all bikes sold in this one market are electric bikes. And Holland is not a small market for bikes. It is a very bike-centric marketplace. You go to Germany, you go to uh, Denmark, Copenhagen specifically. I've spent some time there. We we spend a fair bit of time actually in these cities studying what the infrastructure looks like, what, how people use these bikes, how they're, and how that infrastructure sort of supports this kind of lifestyle because it's something that it's a future that trek would like to see adopted in many other cities especially here in north america obviously it's our home market but you take a look at like what the infrastructure looks like to your question about you know what what do they do differently the first thing that they just do differently is they actually consider cycling and bicycles as an essential mode of transportation rather than some kooky alternative that we have to just kind of you know make sure that we plan for it's actually planned alongside everything else. So not only is the space provided, the space is then also protected. You're talking about physical barriers. You're talking about paths that are removed from the potential of oncoming traffic. In the United States, what you'll see a lot of is you'll see a lot of painted bike lanes, which is great that they're providing space, but those painted bike lanes outside of a painted line on a road, sometimes not exactly the safest places on, on for a cyclist to ride. So what you have to do is you have to provide 
the space and, the, and make that space a confidence builder for people. Because what we've noticed is when you build these spaces for people, people use them. When you have separated bike paths, when you have separated bike infrastructure, it is a highly used piece of, of the overall transportation mode in a city or in, in a municipality. Copenhagen does that really, really well. Amsterdam does that really well. Holland, you know, as a country was not a country that always had this. This is something that happened in the, in the 60s and 70s after, and unfortunately in Holland, they had a problem with kids going to school on bikes and a few of them, you know, were hit by cars. And what they had is you had this massive upheaval. You had massive protests in the street that this, this cannot happen. We cannot allow children to be harmed in, in this way. And it completely flipped the way that they were thinking about their own infrastructure. And now they're one of the healthiest countries in, in the world. And because they provide the space for people to live healthier lifestyles and, and, and make smart alternative transportation decisions. And then, you know, it's, you, you start to build in these infrastructure pieces and then it sort of grows from there. There's a lot of momentum that comes from that space. You know, you, you see businesses start to change and cater. You see more outdoor spaces. You see more, more, outdoor, more outdoor seating. You see, you, you, we noticed a lot of this happening. Um, when cities would shut down in 2020, you know, you'd have the whole boulevards would shut down to foot traffic or car traffic. And just so that you provided more space for people to actively move outside. And what happened was you saw a lot of people return to those spaces, use those spaces. You saw bike adoption was massive during those times. One, because it was just a great way just to get outside and, and give yourself a little bit of a break from any kind of quarantining you were, you were doing. But it was also because you didn't have to worry about anybody, any other Thing. You didn't have to worry about cars. You didn't have to worry about traffic. You didn't have to worry about your safety. You could just, and so once you build that infrastructure, once you give people the confidence to use it, it's amazing what can happen. Yeah. I can, I can imagine that, you know, for some people at least like having that designated lane, you know, aside from being like practically safer for a lot of people, you know, maybe gets them out on the bike where otherwise they might not feel comfortable. Absolutely. And, and you've seen it. There are, Amer there are American examples of this. You've got Indianapolis. You've got actually New York City. New York City was not always a great place to ride a bike. And it probably, it, and I'm sure some of the listeners out there are going to go, you know, New York City, you got to be kidding me. If you have been to New York City in the past few years and ridden a bike, you've taken a city bike out, you've taken one of their infrastructure, you've ridden the, the separated paths and the parts and places that they have actually made for bicycles. Now, it's not a perfect system by, by any means, but it is actually one of the better and more connected systems that I've seen. London actually is one of the best examples that we have outside of the continental uh, European markets. You look at what London's done. London is actually one of they've made it really expensive to drive a car in London. So, so you have that. They also did provide a tax benefit for buying a bike. So where you get a lot of that actually taken off of your taxes, the purchase of a bike. And then they, they built a lot of infrastructure, bicycle-friendly infrastructure. And that city is in the midst of a massive change for clean air, for fitness level, for the wellness of its population, it's kind of a completely different place. And in the U.S., you've got Indianapolis, you've got Boulder, Colorado, you've got you know Portland. I know people know Portland is a really great bike town, but you also have country or cities that you might not be aware of. Minneapolis doing an incredible amount of bike infrastructure and, and really doing making some big investments. You've got Madison, Wisconsin, where where a lot of Trek employees live, and there is definitely a Trek influence, but it's got a great connected bike path for people to use. And so it's definitely happening in these pockets. And I think when you can show your local civil engineers and you can show your local city councils what the benefits are, bike infrastructure becomes a really, really smart thing because it's actually a pretty cheap date. You know, cycling infrastructure compared to more road infrastructure or anything else is, is massively less expensive when, when, you, when you do the comparison. And then when you take a look at all of the benefits that you get out of it, the return on the investment is actually massive. 
Yeah, and we we've already been kind of talking about the barriers, but I'm you know it seems like the the big ones are you know having the infrastructure in place, and then maybe you know making that initial kind of business case to elected officials of why that's a valuable thing to mm-hmm. to invest. I mean, are there other barriers in terms of you know e bike adoption that that need to be kind of taken care of for us to realize our our potential, if you will, here in the in the states? I think there's there's a couple of things still out there. I think one is, um, you know, first thing you have to do, you have to be aware. Awareness of what an e-bike is and that this is actually a potential product is still it's still growing. It's not to where it was a couple of years ago where you had to explain exactly the concept of an electric bike. You can start to say that a little bit more. More people kind of know what you're talking about. But there's still a definite awareness gap of what this product is. And then really the next thing would be the experience gap. You may have heard about the product, but you may never have been actually tried it yet. We find that... If you can get people to experience the product and try the product, the amount of joy that is created from that experience and the light bulb that goes off for people once you experience, once you demo or once you test ride one of these things is massive for people's interest in actually purchasing an electric bike. I am 100% successful in creating a smile on someone's face every time they I've actually demoed a bike or let someone use my electric bike. Years ago, there was a little bit of a belief, I think, especially within the industry, that there would be like your quote unquote hardcore cyclist would look at people on electric bikes differently. That has not played out. Most cyclists are going to be just excited to see more people riding bikes, whether it's electric or acoustic. Acoustic is a fun word to just kind of call like non-electric bikes. I don't know why I was just like, because I like right, acoustic right. guitars just as much as I like electric guitars. So why not? Um, <laughs> so you got your acoustic bikes and your electric bikes. And I think what you're finding is you're finding that there is so much joy uh, when you ride a bike and when you're lowering the barriers for, for, for to that joy and giving people more opportunity, whether it's extending the lifespan of when you can, how long you can ride a bike or whether you're actually able to create just a kind of a different experience. Like when I take my, when I take my kid to the park and I pull him in the electric bike, we're having a different experience than if we're getting in the car and going somewhere. Totally. If, you, if you're going to the grocery store on a bike, on your electric bike, it's a different experience. And in many cases and in many places, you're not actually saving any time in the car. For folks who might are hearing this and saying, this sounds really interesting and maybe I need to look at, you know, an e-bike. Are there, what's your advice, right? What should people be considering when they're looking to, to purchase or potentially purchase an e-bike? Yeah, for sure. So the first thing to do is really, I think, just some basic online research about just kind of like, there's, there's, there's so much information out there. I always find it's really useful to talk to a retailer. It's still very much a product that I feel should be touched, discussed, looked at. A lot of a lot of retailers will, will allow you to demo. Um, it's it's not it's not not everywhere, but a lot of places will allow you to actually ride and experience that bike. Like we said, there's a lot of different options and there's a lot of different use cases. And I would start with what you want to do and go from there. What is it that you think right. an electric bike could do for you? Are you, are you is your primary focus commuting or is your primary focus just fun? Once you kind of understand exactly what you want it to do, then you can really start that journey. Makes sense. You're getting me excited about wanting to go to the retailer. <laughs> I've, I've got think, all my bikes are acoustic at this point, but you know, um, maybe a, maybe an e-bikes in my future. So this leads into, I guess, maybe my final question, which is, are there things as individuals that that we can help do to accelerate that adoption of e-bikes? Uh, there's, you know, there's a couple of things. I think one, it's really just becoming more, I think, more educated and aware of what your alternatives are. I think it's very easy to dismiss 
cycling sometimes as something that might not be for me, or it's, it's too hot here, or it's too hilly here, or it's too, you know, insert whatever excuse you, you want. So I think the first thing to do is really educate yourself about what, what can electric bikes do for me that might be keeping me from um, riding my bike or actually making alternative transportation decisions. I think the next thing to do is really think about the trips that you take. Really consider like how many of your trips are under two miles. And for most Americans, it's 40% or more of the trips that you take are less than two miles away from your home. And if you take a look at that two mile radius and everything that resides within that, that you travel to and that you enjoy, so much of that can be accomplished on a bike. And when you do that, I guarantee you will have more fun getting there. I have never gotten somewhere in my car and gone, man, that was a great car ride. I almost <laughs> all the time on my bike, I get, when I get somewhere and go, wow, that was really fun. Like, I hope I get, I can't wait to get down and do that again. Well, Eric, I'm, I'm definitely more excited about e-bikes than when we started to be anticipated, I guess. Thanks so much for coming on and teaching us more about e-bikes and hopefully, you know, building some enthusiasm among our, our listeners to Absolutely. go out there and give one a shot. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. So, so Thomas, what did you think about the uh, interview with Eric? Uh, look, it was really quite impressive. I've got to say that I was a bit of a disbeliever in electric bikes when I first rode them about 15 years ago, thinking that, you know, it's it's a lot of money and would people spend that sort of money on a bicycle? And you know, is it really going to enable more people to ride that otherwise would? But I've got to admit that I, I, t- I totally misread the situation and the growth that we've sort of seen since this this COVID period started has been absolutely astronomical with growth rates exceeding the growth rates of even electric vehicle adoption. I'm really blown away. And in my mind, it comes down to one thing and, and that's the, the Superman effect. And I, I, know it I seems assume you're going to tell little... us about the Superman effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, so what it is, is basically when, when you get on an electric bicycle, it because it magnifies what you do, it's, it's like you know, walking up to a great big table and being able to pick up that table with one hand. If you could do that, it just you you feel so powerful. So for a person that would normally you know not be a particularly strong rider, for them to be able to keep up with you know otherwise very strong riders, just makes the whole point of getting on the bike totally addictive. So for for short journeys that you would otherwise uh, use a you know, a normal car for, you end up going well. I'm going to take this bicycle every time because every time I get on this thing, it makes me feel absolutely amazing. What did you think about what uh, Eric had to say on electric bikes? You know, I've been encouraged by, you know, the adoption numbers, obviously like you and, and really starting to see them as sort of a mainstream transportation uh, solution rather than sort of this novelty thing. I guess I didn't, I didn't appreciate all of the, the different variations that are out there, right? So if you're somebody who wants to be taking this as a commuter, you know, to and from work, you know, there are bikes for that. If you want to be, you know, getting your groceries and, and, and running errands, carrying around bigger cargo, there's, there's bikes for that. So the fact that the industry has really spent the time to design, you know, just like we would with, with passenger vehicles, different types of bikes for different applications really opens them up to be, you know, truly a mainstream you know, transportation option. I mean, you look at cities like, you know, Copenhagen, I think he mentioned and Amsterdam and, you know, 
I looked up numbers on Copenhagen. It says, you know, around 30% of their trips are done by bike, which is dramatic, right? And then, of course, there's all the, the, the knock-on benefits aside from the climate ones. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing that we, we need to remember is the, the although there's a, a bit of a cost of getting into this, compared to buying a new vehicle, it is a fraction of the cost for similar capabilities. Sure, you might be able to you know, travel hundreds of miles a day in them, but for the you know, typical commute to the grocery store or to work or what have you, you know, with these, the typical electric bike these days has a 100-kilometer range in a 500-watt-hour battery or 60-mile range that's more than adequate to do what most people need in a day. Yeah, it almost becomes, you know, for people who are, you know, like say two car families, this becomes your around town car, right? You don't need that option now because you have the bike that, you know, that fits in instead. And yeah, and because the way these electric bikes are set up, they typically have quite a lot of torque on the drive. You can go and add weight to them and you can still climb hills, accelerate through traffic, do what you need to do. Um, it, 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 it quite adequate clip with very little impact from the additional weight of the groceries or whatever else you might be carrying. Yeah. And I mean, that really points to the key, I think that, that these European cities have figured out, which is, you know, we've got like folks will know in, that live in Portland, Oregon, we've got, you know, some great bike infrastructure here, but it, we really need to take that step from going from, you know, painted bike lanes to, you know, to separated bike lanes you know, because at the end of the day, it's, it's really about, you know, people being not just objectively safer, but feeling safer. Right. And if you have those, you know, dedicated lanes, you're going to get a lot of folks who might not otherwise be comfortable getting on a bike, hopping on it. Yeah. Great point. It actually also makes the whole experience of riding a bike a lot more pleasant because you don't have the noise of the vehicles right beside you. Well, and you can focus on really just enjoying the ride and, I don't know. I mean, the the other, you know, takeaway for me with e-bikes is just the fact that there are all these, you know, we're focusing from a climate perspective, but there are all these other benefits to be realized. I mean, we've talked about some of them, but like helps improve air quality, right? It reduces traffic congestion, you know, it reduces infrastructure costs. I mean, there's a there's a whole heap of things that you get in addition to getting, you know, a climate benefit. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a very compelling, you know, business case and, you know, I guess a lot of folks have figured that out given the the growth numbers that we've seen. I guess this is this is the point where I ask you to sign me up. Um, but I don't know whether I can break up with my acoustic bikes just yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's maybe it's just a matter of uh convincing some others, you know, some some more reluctant riders um cuz it sounds like you got your mom on board, so, you know. You got to figure yeah, out who no, the, who I look the next at, target is. I, I I look at how much more she rides now. I would say probably tenfold increase in the amount of bike riding she does, um, just because of this whole Superman effect associated with riding electric bikes. It just it means she can load up with groceries and whatever else that she might be carrying and and not even notice it. Yeah, completely. Well, you better patent that Superman effect because I can see somebody right. else latching onto that. <laughs> well, well, I hope they do. If, I, if it helps the cause, then all, all, all the better. It, indeed. Well, uh, you know, this this leads into the question of, of course, you know, what can we do? And option one for this week is is an obvious one, right? Go to your, you know, local bike shop, 
and check out their e-bike selection. Go on a test ride and yeah, hopefully we get some folks, you know, riding one home. And our, our second action opportunity for the week and a critical one is calling on folks uh, in the U.S. to contact their representatives about climate action. And this is, you know, something that becomes sort of a reoccurring action for us because of the, you know, the criticality of passing federal legislation. But we really are at the 11th hour now. And so, you know, if you're somebody who hasn't called before and maybe worried about, you know, not sounding eloquent, I think we need to all be looking at this through the lens of, you know, how are we going to feel if we didn't do everything we could to help get climate legislation across the finish line? Because, you know, we want to be looking back 10 years from now and saying we did it and not that we wish we could have, you know, done more. And so, you know, take those couple minutes just to pick up the phone. And the reality is a lot of these representatives, you just are talking to, you know, a voicemail or talking to an intern who's just capturing your comments. So encourage everybody to, to go out and do that. Anything to add, Thomas? I think you've wrapped that up nicely, Jason. And yeah, I really hope that you can get that legislation moved through soon. Well, thanks, Thomas. I think the other thing just to call out before we wrap is that we'll have resources on our website under the show notes, giving folks places they can do their homework on on e-bikes, as well as, as always, talking points for reaching out to your representative. So head over to our website and, and check out the show notes for more resources. Well, with that, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Come back next week for more climate solutions reasons for hope, and ways each of us can make a difference. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimist.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimist Podcast. Climate Optimist.